our God won't fail. He's never failed. Not yesterday. He won't today. And he won't tomorrow. Mm. 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 You may be seated. There's so much joy in the house of the Lord this morning. It's undeniable. It is truly undeniable. It makes me think of another song. I was glad when they said to me, you know the rest. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Welcome home. Welcome home, saints. Strong Tower family. If you're a guest uh, visiting Strong Tower for the first time, again, we want to welcome you. Welcome. Welcome to Strong Tower. My name, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Asunji. I serve as a pastoral resident here at Strong Tower. And if you're a guest and if you're family, I got some news. I don't know how y'all will take this news, but I think it's good news. So this Sunday is a special Sunday. This Sunday is a rather unique moment in Strong Tower history, okay? Now why? This Sunday, we will experience breaking a record together, okay? Now, this record that we're about to break may not be the first kind of records that you jump on to break, but by the end of the service, uh, you can take it home with you. So what is this record we will break? First, let me disclose, I would like to give a shout out in advance to the Thigpen family for helping us step in to what we're about to step into and our AV team in advance. Let's go ahead and give a hand clap of praise. All right, so here it is. This morning, Together as a church, as a family, we will read the entire chapter of 1 Samuel 17. <laughs> Drink your water if you need some water. If you need to step out, come back. It's all good, I understand. It was funny, as I was actually practicing reading, reading myself, I would zone out even as I was reading it. So. If you zone out, that's okay. That's okay. Just come back, and hopefully we'll be towards the back end of the chapter. All right? So, also, I'm ill-prepared. Uh, Brother Fennel, is it all right if I, uh, I don't have the word of God on me. I could use the iPad, but I see you got, is it all right if I, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, bro. I left it up top. I left it up top. All right, y'all forgive me. Y'all forgive me. Already starting off bad. Okay. So now, 1 Samuel 17. If you have your Bible or a friend's Bible, uh, turn there. And if you have the scripture on your device, it is all the same, the word of God. And then lastly, up on the screen, it will be available. First Samuel 17. Bear with me, bear with me. This is actually really convenient. The text is huge. Okay, so before we begin, let's pray. 
Lord, you tell us that the grass withers, the flower may fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Lord, help us. Lord, you know our minds are prone to wander. Lord, you know that uh, we're, we're often so scattered, Lord, and the world in which we live does not help. It is full of chaos. So, Lord, this morning, as we open up your word, Lord, would you speak to us, speak to our heart, speak to our mind. Holy Spirit, guide us and move us and direct our lives in the way that we shall go, that in all things we may give honor to your Son, the one and true living God among us. It's in his name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. Here we go. Get some water. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the name of these three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from, his, from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And also take these 10 pieces, cheese, to the commander of their thousand, see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, 
fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the presumption and the evil of your heart, but you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of its mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I haven't tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. 
Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shariam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. This morning, I would like to tag our text, the living God, the living God. What do you want to be when you grow up? This was always my favorite question growing up. I wish actually it was first Sunday so we could bring the children back over and you could see just how excited and ready they'll get or become to tell you what it is they would like to be when they grow up. This and every other what do you want question was my favorite. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? The first 21 years of my life, I had the same answer. I want to go to the league. I want to be drafted. I don't pick a team. I just want to be able to do what I love and take care of my mama. However, there was every blue moon or every leap year for one of those 366 days, I had a different answer. What do you want to be when you grow up? Instead of saying Ed Reed, Brian Dawkins, or your very own Ray Lewis, Ray Ray, I was reminded as I was preparing to read even this entire text, back to when I was seven years old, 
I was asked to play Frederick Douglass in the school play. What do you want to be when you grow up? Once in a while, it might come out of my mouth, an actor. I would desire to be an actor, and this desire will hold up all the way until college. The spring semester of my senior year, instead of taking, I only had one more class left to get a minor in Spanish. I went and told my advisor, and I begged, and I begged, and I begged, and I was like, all right, let's do this. Instead of this last class in Spanish, can I take intro to acting one-on-one, please? She let me do it. You see, my visionaries for the profession would include men like Denzel and John Q, Brad Pitt from Troy, and many others. You see, deep within me, even as a child, for as long as I could remember, my heart would lust after fame and greatness. I would always ask myself, who is the greatest in specific categories? And so I thought about it when it came to acting. Is it Denzel? Is it Brad Pitt? Is it Angela Bassett? Well, it's a debate, right? And like every debate on who's the greatest, you might ask for the verdict in this way. Who holds the most rings? Who has the most championships? Who has the most golds? And who has the most medal on the shelf at home? So if you seek to settle the score for those who act, you might ask who holds the most Academy Awards, the most Oscars for the best actor. Is it Denzel, Tom Hanks, Robert De Niro? No, but you're close. All three of these men have two Oscars back at the crib for best actor. But there's somebody crowned with three. His name is Daniel Day-Lewis. I never heard of him until about a week ago. It would be Steven Spielberg's 2012 film, Lincoln, where Daniel would go on to receive his third Academy Award and take the crown as arguably the best actor alive. In Lincoln, Daniel Day-Lewis plays as Abraham Lincoln, the man on your $5 bill. And in this movie, he captures, or what the movie captures, is Lincoln in the midst of the Civil War trying to hold a nation and a country together. But as he's also fighting those outside, he also has within his own cabinet those in opposition. For Lincoln, and in the movie, captures arguably the most critical moment in debate within the history of our country. Shall black men and women be enslaved or free? Well, I thank God due to many who've laid down their lives, and in the passing of Lincoln's 13th Amendment, my family are free. Yet, Lincoln didn't always taste success. Lincoln had a hard life. Lincoln is, in fact, also noted for his melancholy-like personality. For when Lincoln was a child, he also had many bouts with depression to where those who were in his care would have to be careful if he carried a knife on him. They would always try to make sure Lincoln didn't keep a knife in his pocket for fear that he may do something to his life. You see, Lincoln was a powerful movie. It truly was. However, 
What's interesting about 2012 Lincoln is that it was the third of Lincoln movies to be released in 2012. Check these titles. You probably remember. I remembered one of them. A couple months before Lincoln, there was a movie called Lincoln and the Vampire Hunter. Anybody seen it? I haven't. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then there was one before, even Lincoln the Vampire Hunter. It was called Lincoln and the Zombies. You probably definitely haven't seen that one yet. Nah. So, if you're looking for a movie to watch this Halloween, that might be your pick. Check it out. But I was curious. I'm like, where did all these cryptid-like creatures and Abraham Lincoln all of a sudden and 2012 come together. And there was a debate before Lincoln would attack the debate of slavery in our country, 20, almost 20 years before. And it can come from an 1848 quote from Abraham Lincoln as he was visiting Niagara Falls. He says this, but there is still more. It calls up indefinite past when Columbus first sought this continent, when Christ suffered on the cross, when Moses led Israel through the Red Sea, nay, even when Adam first came from the hand of his maker. Then as now, Niagara was roaring here. And this is the quote. The eyes of that species of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of the earth have gazed on Niagara as ours do now. Hmm. Did Abraham Lincoln believe in giants? There's those out there today who debate, go back and forth on the internet and on YouTube. You get see anything you know, up there on YouTube, but there's a genuine debate out there. Did Abraham Lincoln really believe in giants? So this morning, as we read in our text, I don't know the answer to Abraham Lincoln's beliefs, but what I can tell you for Saul and the men of Israel, Goliath was as real as a giant as they come. For we're told his height was six cubits in a span, the modern equivalent to about nine feet, six inches tall. You see, the center, I almost titled this sermon, the, this sermon, the great debate. Because the censor of what we read in 1 Samuel 17, we read it, the combat is only but so short. It's two verses. The entire chapter, though, can be argued as one of the greatest debates, and we get a window into the greatest debate in the history of man. And what is at the center of this debate? The living God. Hmm. Where this debate takes place on the earth is the Valley of Elah. However, for us, I would like to consider this valley the Valley of the Mind, which is the heart. You see, in Hebrew, the word for heart, as we even read it in our passage, is lave. And it can be translated either in English as heart, or that very same word can be translated as mind. So this morning, I would like for us to consider three minds within the Valley of Elah. The first mind we shall consider is the mind of Saul. So if you're taking notes, this is our first point, and I would, I'm going to push through. We won't break the record for the longest sermon this morning. Amen. 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 
First point, the mind of Saul. Before there was David and Goliath, there was Saul and Goliath. And in verse 33, Saul's opening address, the narrator highlights for us, within the valley of Elah as such. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Do you hear it? You are but a youth. Excuse me. He has been a man of war from his youth. In other words, fall back and chill. I think about how my mother used to say when I was, when I was little, and she would be talking to her friends, other family members, and I would try to come in, give my two cents, and then she would say, this is an adult conversation. Stay in the children's place. You might have heard it yourself. Something like it, right? So this is what David is told. You see, Saul's mind was conditioned to the ways of this world. And it would be by the means of this world that he would seek to overcome his opposition. For Saul's mind was stuck on strategy, scheme, and strength. We're told in verse 25, Saul develops this master plan and strategy to get the job done. In verse 25, we're told that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, money, will give him his daughter, marriage and status, and make his, house, his father's house free in Israel, autonomy and freedom. You see, Saul's mind was wired to think only in categories most natural to man. He was trying to play on those heartstrings of the mind of man, pertaining to money, power, and marriage and status. Does this sound familiar? It most definitely does for me. But what does the heart and mind of Saul ultimately produce in the people? In verse 11, fear and dismay. I love the word, or I shouldn't say I love the word. It's interesting to note that the word dismay can also be rendered, as some scholars would have it, depressed or downhearted. Do you know of such a feeling? Is your soul dismayed this morning or your heart down? If so, let me tell you that you are not alone. For God's people have been in this very same place, and it is called the Valley of Elah. And thank God the mind of Saul isn't the only voice in this valley. Our second point, the mind of David. Let no man's heart fail because of him. The mind of David would be tested three times before he throws blows with Goliath. In fact, David would meet two Goliaths before Goliath. The first Goliath would be Eliab, his big brother. You see, Eliab would test the genuineness of the heart and the mind of David. So he says, I know the presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. I'm like, come on, Eliab, you wasn't listening to Pastor Ben's sermon last week? Do you really know what's in my heart? Hmm. So what does David say? Like any little brother, what did I do now? I was just trying to say a word. But David keeps it pushing, his second Goliath, Saul, his king. Saul, as we already read, would test the inexperience, but he would also test the forgetfulness of David's mind. 
Saul is convinced and only able to think in ways that are blinded to the living God. Saul, in verse 38, we see it, strength for strength. He gives him his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. But this is what I love about David's genuineness of his heart. He says, and he tried in vain to go. And then check, check verse 40 in the emphasis of the possessive pronoun his. His staff, his hand, his shepherd's pouch, his sling, his hand. Where in vain does our mind and our heart entrust itself when we're in need of deliverance? Does it go to strength, resources, technology, or your sword even? Some of us remain in the Valley of Eli because we are chasing and pursuing deliverance out by every other means than trusting in the living God himself. Oh, how easily do we forget. You see, David remembered the hand of God in the wilderness of Judah. Hmm. Lord, help us not cover our neighbors and be thankful for who you've created us to be. David then would face his final giant, Goliath himself. Goliath now would then test the God of the mind of David. For 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath was talking crazy. It says that he was cursing David by his gods. You see? But David's mind is set on the living God. We see the very first words of David captured in 1 Samuel 17 when he talks to his brother Eliab, and then when he talks to Saul, his king, he says this, the mind of David. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So now, Goliath comes, and my dog, David, probably looks at him and is like, I did a lion, I did a bear, and I could do a dog, and that's fine. <laughs> and this is what he says. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And then we've read the rest. But this is why, this is why, David lays it all down, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and with spear, but what does it say? For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Amen. Mm. So you know how the rest of this story goes. For the word of God comes to pass like it always does. So now you might be wondering, where is the source of David's strength? Where is the source of David's mind in the valley of Elah? I think about how he was entering the valley. He might have 
been recalling that, 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 that psalm. You, you, you know it. You can say it in verse 4. The Lord is, excuse me, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I what? I shall not want. And then in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley, you can finish, of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they shall comfort me. This is the mind of David. But where does it come from? Well, if you were here last week, Pastor Ben answered that question for us. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Third point, the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Wrong question. Better question. Who is the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is the spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, we're told, who knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of that man? But the Lord has given us his spirit that we may know the one and true living God. So, the mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ, Christ. Also, we've already learned from Pastor Ben that Christ means anointed. It was in 1 Samuel 16, 13, where he is anointed and the spirit of the living God rushes upon him. And so we declare ourselves to be Christians, a.k.a. little anointed ones. We have the mind of Christ. We have that same spirit that possessed David in the valley of Elah today. He was a man possessed by the spirit of the living God. So, what does the mind of Christ produce? I imagine David coming back to his king Saul with Saul's head in his hand and saying, this is the mind that you feared? This is the gods that you were afraid of? Have it. You see, David, we're not David. We have the spirit, but our David is Christ. And it was Christ that would go to the valley of Elah, to the valley of the shadow of death. It was Christ that would meet Goliath outside of Jerusalem on Golgotha, the place of the skull, interestingly enough. And it would be he that would take the head of the ancient serpent and dragon of confusion, of sin, and of chaos and death and nail it to the cross. You see, listen to this. Mm, the living God. For Christ does not live on the cross forever, but Satan. For it is Satan that is now hung and crucified forever. When you look at the cross... You can remember what he's done, but where does your God live? He is Emmanuel. He dwells with his people. God is with us. David knew that his God lived with him as he does with us today. If you don't believe me, ask Moses in the wilderness. He would pick up a cross and nail what to it? A serpent. That is where he resides forever. Forever. 
For our Lord, our King, says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So what are we to do? We do what the Israelites did. For we are told they did two things. They shouted all the Lord's ever asked of us to praise him, to worship him. I think about my granddad. He would come in through the middle of the night. I love him. He had a drinking problem. But when I think of what it means to be drunk in the spirit, I think of my grandfather. He would come in, I don't care what time it was, and he would let off a hymn, plug in his guitar, and shout through the night. We ought to shout, too. We'll have an opportunity tonight, 630, you know, to praise your God. And then lastly, we're told that they plundered. They plundered their camp. How do we plunder our minds of the things of this world that the Holy Spirit of God shall rule and declaim the living God? couple quick tips and practicals. I just got an app. It's a Bible app called Dwell, and there's those that can read, which my brother put me on to, Fennel. Um, and uh, it's, it's just a beautiful way to be reminded of how God will sing. He sings over us. Another thing is put your phone up if you can, or the phone can be a blessing, like I said, for the, for the Bible app. I mean, there's so many ways that the Spirit of God will lead you to keep your mind fixed on Jesus. So plunder. And so let these words from the Spirit of God go with you this morning. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 5, and we will close here. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you see us fully. There is no running from you. Lord, you are the living God and truly your son Jesus is our king who is the man of the in-between our champion between heaven and earth between now and eternity oh Lord between slavery and freedom between our crying and singing oh Lord Christ is our champion Lord, help us, please. Please, God, help us. We are your people. You have never failed us. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.